Hello and welcome to In Word and Deed, a podcast produced by the Center for Applied Ethics and Humanities at Santa Fe College. I'm Ann Tebow, professor of philosophy here at SF, and in a moment you'll hear from some of my students who have participated in Ethics Bowl over the years and a few who are fellows in the Intercollegiate Civil Disagreement Partnership, which is committed to reducing polarization by teaching students to connect across political differences. This desire to connect is increasingly on our minds as we think about being around family over the holidays and the prospect of sitting down to have discussions with people we don't always agree with. Today, Heather and Alanis dig into anger and conflict and strategies for de-escalating in our episode, No Small Potatoes. Hello, everyone. My name is Alanis Gonzalez, and I'm currently a student here at Santa Fe. I'm currently part of the Ethics Bowl team, as well as the ICDP, as a senior fellow and representative for the college. And I'm right here with Heather. Hi, I'm Heather Ann Irons. Um, I'm a former student at Santa Fe, um, and I used to compete in the Ethics Bowl team. And I'm currently majoring in philosophy at American University in Washington, D.C. That's super cool. So for today's episode uh, that we're titling No Small Potatoes, where we're going to talk about disagreement, why do we fear disagreement and conflict, and how it doesn't necessarily have to be adversarial, but can instead be useful. So it's that time of the season where family gathers and conflicts inherently arise and emotions can escalate and it's really easy to get carried away. So as an ethical person, you try to maintain conversations to be constructive, but oftentimes that kind of leads to you biting your own tongue and trying not to explode. But that's also not a good thing. So Heather, you know, what is an occasion where you were tentative to disagree because you wanted to avoid conflict? Um, I usually avoid situations where I um, would be in conflict. And even when I am in situations of conflict, I tend to stay quiet. And this isn't really like an academic example um, or where I'm, I'm disagreeing with somebody, but um, there was one time where I was on a bus and the person next to me had this huge backpack that was like really in my space like honestly like on me <laughs> and i i didn't say anything and it's so embarrassing like i should have said something right but no i was like i don't want to like i don't want this person to be mad at me or whatever and when that person left the people behind me were like wow i can't believe you didn't say anything <laughs> and so i was like oh yeah you know i was just you know really like anxious about the situation but that often happens a lot, and I, I'm honestly, I'm not the first person to do that. Like, a lot of situations where people are uncomfortable, they'll just, you know, take it and yeah. wait until it's over. Yeah, no. Um, I, yeah, you've been in a situation like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's um, it's really difficult. Um, but in terms of, like, uh, ideolo- ideological uh disagreements um those i tend to keep quiet in as well um unless i'm in a space where you know an academic space where it's encouraged to kind of you know speak out or bring a different point of view i would say in like everyday life it's it's not encouraged to disagree with somebody if they are speaking and that's why it's this is all the more important because of being around family you're much more likely to be around people that you have different views from and so uh, 
kind of dealing with this fear of disagreement is is all that more important. Yeah. And kind of piggybacking off what you said, I really like that point that you mentioned that disagreement within academic spaces is completely different from disagreement in everyday life. So whereas we might be like super assertive, great ethic bowlers, like in the academic space, once we go out, we get people pushed in our faces and we won't even say anything because it's that fear of or like creating conflict in spaces that you really don't have a lot of control. Like there's no mediation or at least it doesn't feel like there's any mediation because of this person gets like super mad that you said, hey, can you scoot a little bit to the left so you're not squishing my face? You don't really know what's going to happen. So a big reason why we fear conflict in those spaces is, you know, unpredictability and outrage can be very scary. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. Yeah. Because in academic spaces, someone gets really mad. You know, there's somebody to be like, hey, you know, we're in the space where we're trying to be collegial and, you know, civic and all of that. But if someone's screaming at you at a bus, you're like, oh, God, what do I do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, that being said, though, um, there shouldn't be a fear of disagreement because it can foster like more communication and more unity um, and understanding between two parties. Um, have you had a time where you actually engaged with someone and it like someone you disagreed with and it actually turned out to be not that bad? Yeah, so I feel like a big part of actually engaging in disagreement and conflict is realizing it's just a part of communication. Because again, it's that fear of, oh, I'm gonna say something that's gonna, you know, touch a nerve or it's gonna cause like a really negative reaction. But a lot of times, like that escalation is kind of in your head. Like a big thing is that I'm currently rooming with my brother and, you know, it's a family member and that has its pros and cons because if, if it's just like a random roommate, if that person gets mad at you, it's like, okay, you know, it's awful. Because like, it still feels uh, anxious, like anxiety-inducing, because it's not a person you know that well. But when it's a family member, it's like, okay, I have to see my brother no matter what. And creating conflict within your own family carries like a bigger, uh, I want to say, consequence. So I think that a big part of learning to live together with my brother is just realizing that we're inherently going to clash. Like, it's just part of the process of being two people sharing a space. And that... You know, we were both kind of anxious and maybe pointing out like, hey, can you do the dishes? Or, hey, I don't like it when you come in at 11 in the night and you're just slamming the door. And in actually addressing them, even though we both kind of like approach it kind of meekly at first and doing it is that we prevent us from like growing resentful or one another or blowing up in each other's faces and actually create a more comfortable living situation because it's like we both know what the stakes are we both know what the other person is thinking so instead of it being like this mind game of like ooh, am i gonna like accidentally trigger something you know it's that part of again maintaining an active communication and being engaged in the spaces that you're in no matter if it's like family or a stranger great and like engaging with others you always take that risk of, you know, uh, conflict. Um, and sometimes, you know, when you're engaging with somebody else, they don't listen to you. And um, that can be, I don't know if that's, if that's common, uncommon. <laughs> I don't know what to Even say Even if it's that. not common or common, um, just the fact that it happens makes it valuable yeah, to look yeah. into. 
Right. And so um, it's, it's like really important um, to assess the situation um, and see if it's worth investing your time into because if that person's like not going to listen to you um, or even take into consideration what your thoughts are or um, whatever problems that you have, um, then it can actually not be fruitful. And sometimes it's just easier or not easier, but I, I think sometimes it's best for the conversation if you just like walk away because that other person isn't listening to you. Yeah. And that's an excellent point because we also want to point out that when we say that disagreement is, you know, it should be confronted, we don't necessarily mean that you have to deck it out till the end. Part of having an effective conversation is knowing when to disengage. And part of learning how to do that is identifying when you know the other party or even yourself are not listening to what they're actually saying. So oftentimes I notice that during these kinds of conversations, like for example, maybe you're having a disagreement with someone and they're like, oh no, you didn't take out the trash. But then you're like, yes, I did. And no matter what you say or how much you try to like explain how you did in fact take it out, they're not really there to hear you out. They're just kind of stubborn into the fact that, you know, the trash has not been taken out and it has to blame somebody. Therefore, it's your fault. So oftentimes you just kind of notice that when they're just kind of reiterating what you're, what you're saying, like repeating what you're saying, but not actually like processing it. So even if they're maintaining like a calm tone, they're not actually engaging. So a lot of people think that uh, like a bad disagreement or like a non-effective communication is someone getting like really mad and like really loud. When sometimes people are mad, but they're calm. Like their tone is so passive and so like eloquent that you don't even notice that you're not actually getting anything across. So I don't know. I think a big part of it is, again, making sure that you're actually listening to what they're saying, that you're actually taking it into consideration and that it goes both ways. Because at the end of the day, communication is about it being like mutual comprehension and knowing what the other person like. This may sound kind of weird, but you how you translate things to other people. So everyone has different ways of understanding it. So by kind of knowing what kinds of people you're ta you're talking to, you kind of know what triggers outrage and what triggers like negative responses and what actually appeals to them engaging with you. So maybe I wouldn't phrase this things the same way I would to you, but at the end of the day, if it gets the point across, that's what's important. And sometimes you just have to disengage to get that to get that same point across if it's even worth your time. Does that make any sense? Right. Yes, that makes complete sense. Um, and I guess engaging with others, um, a time that like, um, for example, um, I used to work at an abortion clinic. And so the protesters outside uh, were very vocal, um, especially if I was just like standing there um, or especially or, like vocal towards patients. Um, and sometimes uh, patients would get really angry um, and they would have conversations, but you could tell that nothing was really being done. And when you have um, a situation that's like, or when you have a topic that's as like hot button, like as abortion, yeah. um, you'll have, you know, you'll have people who just aren't going to agree with you. And um that's something that I learned during my time there is that, you know, 
protesters aren't going to, um, if I engage in a conversation with a protester, they're not going to, they're not there to be convinced by me. They're there to get their point across. Then Heather, given all of your experiences, I feel like you are perfect for answering this question. How do you really decide what people are worth engaging with? Like, are there any cues? Are there any tactics? All of that. Well, I don't think you can tell from just sheer appearance. You might, you know, feel uncomfortable approaching someone that, you know, so obviously, um, like, shares their view or so, like, is very confident in displaying their view. But I think the cues come more in, like, in conversation and communication um, because if you are you know, explaining yourself and explaining your points and the other person, you know, either attacks something that has nothing to do with the conversation or just reiterates their point of view instead of listening to you and responding to what you said. Um, I think that's kind of the, the, um, the cue to like check out because they're not actually listening to you. They're just kind of trying to win an argument. Um, And sometimes very extreme responses uh, just let me know that I don't need to continue a conversation anymore. Um, for example, um, this is actually with family, and we were we were watching the news, and it might have been something. It might have been something about COVID and like how it was spreading really fast, and like getting all these people sick, and like people need to be safe. Um, and I was watching it with my uncle and I was like, oh yeah, that's like true. You should like, you know, wear your mask, like be safe because it's it's spreading. And he says, I don't need the mask or I don't need the vaccine because God is my health care. Okay, I respect it, but I understand now that anything I say to you about, you know, ways to like, ways to st- like, other ways to end or to, you know, stop the prevention of COVID um, isn't really going to click with you because it's, it's not, I don't have like a religious affiliation to, or a religious reason as to why to wear a mask or something like that. Another person probably could have, you know, connected with him on that level and, you know, talked about God and health and, you know, life and all those things. But I was definitely not the person for that. Um, so that that's just when I checked out and I stopped the conversation instead of, you know, just trying to push what I thought um, was the more reasonable answer. Yeah, no, that's great. And it's kind of that point of having to translate things for what appeals to different people. And that, as you said, as maybe you're not the person to address that. Maybe someone else who does have knowledge and background and what he like. Uh, beliefs and what appeals to him might actually be able to uh, foster a way of thinking or like change his mind or anything like that. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I guess it's important to know that you're not always like the right person. That sounds bad. No, but but I get what you mean. Yeah, you're not always going to be the person that can relate to somebody on that level. I mean, I think I think personally, there can be something that everyone can connect to. But if it's if it's in regards to something particular, like a particular um, like ethnic group or religious group, sometimes you just can't like get to that person or connect to that person. And it's um, yeah, it's just a matter of knowing when to when to stop and disengage and and 
hopefully there will be a chance for further conversation in the future. Yeah. And directing them, I guess, to a lot of other spaces that may be able to have more engaging and more constructive conversations with different people. Because, again, uh, a lot of, uh, like, disagreement is, again, about a sense of belonging and finding communities that even in disagreement, you feel like you're being understood. So, yeah, that's an excellent point. So, Alanis, what are some ways that you can de-escalate a conversation if it starts to get out of control and showing some of that outrage that you talked about before? So, I think the primary tactic for me is asserting a certain tone. So, even though a tone doesn't necessarily indicate that everything is now, uh, you know, it like... How do I phrase this? Just because the tone is calm, it does not necessarily mean that the conversation is now engaged in collegial and all that, but in kind of asserting that, hey, you know, I'm not, I'm trying not to be riled up. I'm trying to listen and I'm here to actively listen to you with both like my body language and my actual language, I think is really important. And sometimes even saying to somebody like, hey, you know, I understand why you feel that way. And come from a place of wanting to comprehend rather than trying to be adversarial or trying to change your mind or trying to attack them make them feel like hey we're both in the same level we're both in the same standing ground i just want to come to a place where we're both like in harmony and that we're both understanding one another and that we actually reach a solution or an ideological understanding that will actually be productive Right. There's a lot of, um, and like when it comes to um, situations like that, there's a lot of emotions like all over the place. And so it's important to kind of address those emotions, I feel like, and be like, hey, I understand you're feeling angry or I understand this topic makes you, you know, feel, you know, very frustrated um, and try to get to, like you said, come from that place of uh, comprehension and trying to relate and understand and and make them know that you're listening to them and that you know it doesn't have to be um it doesn't have to be in a full-out argument um so yeah i think that's good for de-escalation yeah and it's good that you mentioned like addressing feelings because oftentimes people feel like feelings are inherently irrational that they feel like acknowledging feelings is also a personal attack because people tend to also weaponize your feelings so they're like oh i know you're feeling really angry right now and that can sometimes even cause like further escalation because it's like oh you're accusing me now of being irrational but you know trying to also phrase it in a way to i understand why we have this conflict because try to keep it neutral rather than like accusatory almost like you're feeling this like trying not to tell people what they feel but instead of like i'm feeling this this is what's happening instead of it being like i know why you're sad unless they actually say that they're sad um and kind of addressing also how disagreement can lead to being more authentic what is the difference between you know authenticity and really getting every opinion that you have out there in order to you know let everyone know what you're thinking versus you know being able to disengage like are you being uh, unauthentic by not expressing every disagreement what you have with a person or do you think that there's a time and place um i do think there's a time and place but there's also a way to get your point across um that 
that won't come off as like um aggressive um i think there's like very like subtle ways of kind of showing your your viewpoints and expressing yourself without barging into every conversation with like oh well i'm this political party and i believe this this and that um i think it definitely and i i guess in in regards to um time and place i guess it also depends like on your environment and like who you're around uh not that that can stop you from giving your opinion but i think it would i think it would it would affect the way you relay that opinion as as like if you were um like if you were in a space where you weren't sure of everybody's views um in comparison to a space where you know you're with your friends and so you're you're uh, you're comfortable being you know or you're comfortable (laughs) expressing your views yeah, and a lot of this stuff is contradictory, but not in a bad way. It's just that a lot of ideas regarding disagreement are going to be contradictory because you're always weighing out like, okay, do I want to be assertive or do I want to be passive? And like, is the long-term consequence better than the short-term outcome? So a lot of this times, it's just kind of weighing things out all the time. And, you know, there's that conflict of, oh, whether you want to be assertive without drowning others out. So there are some people that just want to be controversial or just want to get every opinion out there without any, like, doubt about what they think. And, you know, it might create a lot of, like, I want to say outrage or, like, a lot of uh, response from others. But if they're willing to deal with the consequences of that, which is like, hey, you know, a lot of people might not be able to deal with you. But then you're like, okay, the people that do deal with me are people that agree with me. And, you know, I think it is always important to be able to engage with people that you disagree with. So I'm not saying that's the best method, but that is the thought process a lot of people kind of go into it with. So uh, a lot of this just weighing out what consequences you want and that, you know, from an ethical perspective, from wanting to be an engaged person and wanting to be a person that's able to relate to uh, others, like family, strangers, and just generally people of like diverse backgrounds and diverse perspectives is, again, making sure that you're assertive, but you don't drown anybody out, that you acknowledge what consequences certain opinions have, and that sometimes those consequences are worth it. So maybe you don't have a certain group agreeing with you, but sometimes you don't want to agree with that group. Yeah, I think that's like what a lot of, I think a lot of people get the wrong idea about assertive people is because they've seen a lot of like examples of people who've just like bulldozed other people who try to talk to them or who are so like stubborn in their own view that it 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 just makes you uncomfortable because Mm -hmm. then you can't ask that person questions and you can't kind of like you know you can't inquire about that person's like views to where you would understand it more because they're just so like just stuck in the ground on their own view and they're so just like loud loud and wrong as they say yeah. <laughs> or loud they're just so loud or loud about it and um they refuse to just engage with other people but i think i think if you have you know certain views that you know are are controversial or you have um 
certain views that you would like to express, I think you should be open to like having conversations with other people and engaging with other people who disagree with you. Yeah. And a lot of it is, again, it's a sense of belonging. So there are forms of socially acceptable rage. And I feel like in this culture, like especially, like the two extremes are socially acceptable. So either you're incredibly passive, don't say anything, or you have to be very like mad when like everything's pouring out and like you're super assertive. So escalation of like anger and intense feelings are only accepted both when it's not there at all and like at its extreme. But when you try to hold it in, it often leads to the other one. So even if you're trying to de-escalate by trying not to say anything and keeping your composure and all that, it's going to come out because those feelings need to be addressed some, somehow. It just has to be redirected in either being constructive about it, disengaging and getting that energy out in other means, but it has to be addressed in some form. So yeah, disagreement is inherent, it's important, and there are different ways to approach it. And I have a professor who once said that uh, if you have anything interesting to say, there is another rational, intelligent person that will disagree with you. Yeah, of course. It was a pleasure talking to you, Heather. So stay tuned for the next episode. It'll be between Paola and Brian, who are married. So we'll see what kind of disagreements arise from that. We hope you tune in and see you next time.